All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Difficult Conversations by Supply the Why. Um, my name is Dean, and I'll be guiding you through this kind of a different type of episode that we're going to be having tonight, where we are going to take a step back from the normal conversations we have, and we're going to do something that really excites me. We're going to try to give back to people that are trying to break into the law enforcement agency by doing an episode that's geared towards people that are new to law enforcement, people that aspire to be in law enforcement, and even decision makers and people that are hiring new law enforcement personnel, talking a little bit to them about what it's like to be the new new person and what it's going to take to be successful when you first embark in your law enforcement career. So I couldn't think of anybody better to have with me in this episode than none other than Detective Sergeant Mike Powell. So let's go ahead and get him up. Mike, what's happening? You know, always a pleasure to be here, Dean. Uh, I'm excited to uh, to have a conversation um, on a on a very important uh, topic. Yeah, yeah, this is a big one because um, let's face it, recruiting numbers are down. All right. So mm -hmm. we don't have the same amount of people that are looking to get in this line of work. Like when you and I started, I mean, you know, if you got a 99 on a test, um, especially in my case, since I'm not a veteran, you could forget getting a sniff at the job yep. because there was so many people that wanted the job. But now yep. it's changed quite a bit and departments all over. They kind of they're hurting for bodies because of the climate and because of everything that's going on across the country. There's not people that are exactly uh, jumping through hoops to get to this job anymore. Right. So 100 percent. I got to I got to start out with this. So a quick side note, it's it's almost ironic that we happen to be doing an episode about this tonight because earlier today I was invited to be part of a, you know, one of those mobile you know, like those mobile party things that everybody does now, like a police parade type thing. So we had one of those for a woman that was the chief secretary of UMass Boston Police Department and that was the first department that hired me to put me through a full-time academy. And this woman, Miss Ethel McClellan, if you're listening out there, you, you are a very special person. You are somebody that the number of police officers that came through that department that you made feel welcome, that you made sure paperwork was squared away, that you made sure that we were on the right path as far as getting certain benefits. Uh, I can't thank you enough for everything you did for me and for all of the other officers that have come through uh, UMass Boston PD. So please enjoy your retirement. You have earned it. Uh, we love and appreciate you. So thank you, Ethel. So it was great that it, to go through that parade today for Ethel. And I also got a chance to see the first chief that hired me, Chief Phil O'Donnell. Uh, thank you for taking a shot on me and and, and helping me get to this point. So having happy, said that, happy, happy retirement. Well, I, I appreciate that, Mike. So let's break it down a little bit. Let's get the conversation started. And let's let's start from jump. You and I met. So what got you into law enforcement and how long you've been into it? Uh, so I've been in going on 16 years and um, my avenue to law enforcement was through the military. Uh, so I, I I had to compete with uh, veterans when, when I took the exam. Um, so it made, it made my route into law enforcement a little, a little easier, um, because I was only competing with the, with, with the remaining, with the rest of the veterans who were uh, competing on the civil service exam. Um, so I, I did things a little backwards. I did six years in the, in the military. And, uh, when I ETS from the military, I, uh, got an opportunity. Well, actually, uh, before that, I, I did some time and worked as a special in Boston with you, Dean, if you, uh, when you can remember those days. I do. Um, and uh, I, did, I spent some time there. And shortly thereafter, I, I got the opportunity to um, to start my career uh, in law enforcement with uh, the city of Malden. So was this something you always wanted to do or did you just kind of fall up into it? Yeah, I think... I think it was something that I wanted to do at some point in high school. Um, so I, you know, as, as a, as a smaller child, I, I, I didn't, at least I don't remember having a desire to, to, to go into law enforcement, but I think I, I started to have, uh, I started to look at that career at some point in, um, in high school. And I felt like the, the best opportunity for me to do that and, and not only uh, for, to join policing, uh, but it was also to mature, grow, and, and see some of the world 
um, on, on Uncle Sam's dime. So so that's why I joined the service and, and took that route into law enforcement after. Well, that's outstanding. And it's a complete 180 from why I got involved in this in this line of work. So I get involved in this line of work, Mike. I, I was um I was with I was a Boston special. I think I was there like a year before before you and I met. And um, quite frankly, I needed a job with steady pay and benefits. <laughs> I was in a situation where I didn't know I was in sales before I was a police officer, and I was on straight commission of or very heavily commission-based sales. So if I didn't sell, I didn't eat. So I got tired of not knowing how much money I was going to make from week to week, month to month, and not having proper benefits. Yeah. So somebody said, hey, you know, this is this is company in Boston. They're hiring special police officers. And, of course, I'm like, what a special police officer? What is that? So, you know, I just kind of threw my name in because I was I was desperate. And uh, the red stripe, the red stripe. So I passed I passed and I ended up in in, in that uh, intermittent academy like like you, that that reserve academy. And uh, I ended up being like, wow, this isn't so bad. I think I'm going to love this. And then we ended up in some of the toughest spots in Boston. Yeah, for uh, sure. And you kind of you got thrown right into the fire, but in <laughs> during that, I met so so many amazing people, so many yeah. amazing residents that wanted our help and needed our help and wanted us there. Um, and I was, and you were able to kind of give people a voice and 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 just be there for them, even if it was just listening to them complain about whatever was going on. Mm -hmm. um, but it it was it was a noble calling, and that's why I stayed. So I got in for the wrong reasons. I stayed for the right reasons, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and Dean, you you said something that that kind of resonates, and and I feel like is important if you're looking for a career in law enforcement. Is you 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 said uh, when you were a, when you were a special, you just you gave some people an opportunity just to be just to be heard, um, and and a lot of times that's important and that matters. Um, that that just just allowing somebody to to speak and be heard uh, goes a long way, uh, particularly now in, in law enforcement. A hundred percent. So Mike, let's go back 15 years, right? So we get hired and we're excited and we have this, you know, we're like, we always have all these plans of what it's going to be like in the job and we're going to do this and we're going to come in and we're going to be detectives right away. So I have a clip here and I just want to, you know, I just want you to watch this and then I want you to tell me if this is what your um, academy experience was like. So stand by. Sure. Not so slim shady. What's up? Holy shit. Jinko, shit. You're up. Oh, fuck! Oh. You beat this, huh? Yeah, man. Such bullshit. You're really good at this. Yeah, I am. to you, the graduates of class 137. Get ready for a lifetime of being badass motherfuckers. Oh, I am. <laughs> so, a little different than my academy experience. Uh, I don't know what yours was like, but uh, is, is 
I, I kind of feel like a lot of people that are getting this line of work now, that's their, they kind of have that kind of an expectation as to what the job's going to be like. Was that similar to what you went through or a little different? Yeah. So, you know, you, you see some, some things in that clip that kind of resonate when, you know, when I went through the Academy and, and what I saw in that, that's um, that I remember from the Academy was that you, you had some folks who were strong with academics and then you had some folks that were strong with, with, you know, with the physical agility side of side of things. Um, and, and, you know, and, and some of us that may not have been as strong academically, it was important for us. You know, we had study groups. We, you know, we we went constantly went over things that were confusing and and difficult to to digest. Um, and and then uh, and some some folks had had problems uh, academically and uh, with physical agility, agil, uh, agility stuff. So uh, that's the things that resonate with me when I see that clip. And 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 it also points out that that. At the end of the day, we're, we're all teammates, um, and we all have to help each other out, and that that's that's real um, because we're not going to get through the academy uh, as individuals. It, it's all about teamwork. It's it's about helping each other out, um, and and you know, coming out of the academy. Oh, when you go into the academy, that's what you everyone thinks about. Oh man, I, you know, I'm going to work plain clothes. I'm going to be. I'm going to get into the drug world, uh, yep. be a narcotics investigator, and go into plain clothes and. Uh, until you, and then when you get out of the academy, you get hit with uh, reality, and you're like, uh, okay, all right. So everyone starts out in patrol. I get it now. Uh, you're like, this job, there's a lot of writing in this job. Who knew that there was all this <laughs> writing? Well, well, it's funny that you say that, Dean, because I remember when I came on, you know, as as a young cop, and uh, it, it it was, you don't less is best. When you when it comes to report writing, so they they used to say less is best. Like you don't need to put that in your report. Now here we are, you know, 15, 16 years later. If it's not in your report, it didn't happen. Uh, so so that that's another aspect that folks need to to think about when uh, when they get into law enforcement is uh, you know report writing is 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 huge because uh, it's a big part of your uh, responsibilities as a police officer when, when you work patrol or wherever you work, whether it's a specialty unit or in patrol, report writing is is a big thing now. Um, even, and it's even more important today than, than it was, you know, years ago when I first came on. A hundred percent. So let's stay on that track right now, Mike. So looking back, you could go back 15, 16 years and you could talk to young, younger Mike Powell. What are the three things that you would emphasize as far as far as setting yourself up for success, knowing what you know now as a um, as a detective sergeant? Um, so if I could look back and, and talk to a, a younger me, um, I would say uh, focus uh, schooling, uh, education, um, and not only that, but also also immersing yourself in different cultures um, and and uh, uh, you talking to people, just being comfortable with, with talking to people who don't look like you, who don't sound like you, um, who may not be from uh, from the same neighborhoods as you, because that's important. That that's that's huge um, going into law enforcement now. Um, and the other thing is uh, physical fitness. Uh, that's huge as a police officer. And 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 luckily, I've I've always I've always maintained a certain level of physical fitness. Because with physical fitness, physical fitness is connected to mental health and, and to your mental well-being. So um, and, and it goes along with with your job. So if you do have to get into a, a physical altercation with somebody, you're prepared, you're confident. Um, and if you you need to have you need to be confident um, uh, um, when you go into certain situations, because if you're not, that's going to ultimately show um with your interactions with the community. I agree with you on that. So I'm going to answer my own question. And again, looking at it from the, from the point of view of a supervisor, I would say, uh, number one, be, you got to try to have the best possible command of the English language. Because again, we we're basically street reporters. Now we really are. It's like, we just go from call to call on said date and time on said date and time and you're documenting everything. So you have to be uh, you, fair or unfair, you're judged by the quality of your report sometimes. 100%. All right. Then from there, again, just a quick caveat, 
I'm going to explain this to people out there too. In police work, in law enforcement, in any kind of performance-based job, a lot of how you are judged, and this is extremely unfair, is by your performance in your first year. Now, that is extremely unfair because, as we all know, in your first year, in just about any line of work, you're still learning, and you're still getting confidence, and you're still getting your, your, your sea legs to you. So to be judged based on what you do that first year is wildly unfair, especially in a career like law enforcement. But that is kind of the culture. Yep. So, so to Mike's point, definitely a command of the English language. Um, I agree with you that I think that you should, I think that sales training should be part of police academies. And I'm not saying it because I have a, a background in sales. I'm saying it because you develop a level of comfort with mm -hmm. making presentations and sometimes yep. talking to people about things that are is uncomfortable to them mm -hmm. and, and things that they don't necessarily want to hear. Like if I walk into your store and I am selling, trying to sell you a credit card processing terminal and you're in the middle of your lunch rush, you may not want to hear from me. But I have to have a level of comfort and a level of confidence in order to walk in and kind of command your attention and explain to you why what I'm selling is good for you. Well, that skill set has helped me out tremendously when it comes to, you know, maybe you got to maybe you have to arrest somebody and it's kind of a, you know, it's kind of a volatile situation. And you are the you're the deciding factor as to whether or not it escalates or if it can be de-escalated by selling this person on why it is a good idea for them just to do what you're asking and 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 go along. So I would say just, you know, having some salesmanship is a huge component because I don't I don't go to work ever and say, you know, like I want to hurt somebody or today's the day I, I want to break someone's legs or I want to shoot somebody. 99.9% .9 of police officers don't do that. If we could talk everybody into handcuffs and have everybody be compliant, we would. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's a, a big skill. And then from there, another comfort-based thing is be comfortable asking questions. If you don't know the answer to something, don't just make it up. Yep. Don't just go out there and just give it your best guess. Be comfortable asking somebody, going to somebody and saying, hey, I don't, you know, Sacha Powell, I probably should know this and I'm sorry, but can you just, I just want to run this by you just to make sure I'm going down the right road. Like that is so important because it is so much easier. I would much rather have somebody ask me a question that maybe they should know than have them go out there and make something up and have it be way off base. And now we have to try to back the train up and try to undo something that uh, that may not be able to be undone. Right. Uh, so th those, those, those are my three things. And one last thing I want to talk to all you veteran cops out there. Stop acting like you were never the new person. You didn't come out of the womb with 10 years on the job. So stop, stop, stop acting like, like these people, you know, oh, they should definitely know this and all these things that, that you didn't know. And you never made mistakes when you came on the job, have a little compassion for people that are new. And remember you were there once too. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Mike. No. And I, and I, uh, you make a good point, Dean is, is we, we, we have to be approachable in law enforcement. I don't, I don't care whether you're the chief or, or, or the, or a first year uh, patrol officer. Um, you have to be approachable, and and I tell all new folks coming on the job, I, I don't, you know, if you're in the field um, and you have a question, just like you, Dean, you pointed it out. If you have a question, call me. Call me on my cell phone. Um, you're not going to bother me. I, I would rather uh, we. I would rather talk you through it now than you have to uh, having to answer some tough questions later. Um, um, so, and, and, you know, and that's very important. And, and I, and I hope a lot of the, the, the veteran officers out there, uh, they feel the same way because policing's changed, uh, and it's, and it's gotten a lot harder. It's, it's not the same when, even when you and I got on Dean, it's not the same. It's got, it's, it's getting more and more difficult. And if uh, newer police, if you're, you know, if you don't want to help a newer, uh, police officer out, you're setting not only you're setting that officer up for failure, but you're setting the department up for failure because if one falls, we all fall. We 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 we've seen it in the in the media um, now. We if one of us falls, we all fall. So it, it it behooves you to if you see something, correct it beforehand. Don't wait till two days later and said and and, and you know and go up to him and say, hey, listen, I knew you messed up. I didn't tell you, but uh, I, I wanted to see you fall on your face like that. That's uh, again, that that type of mentality hurts the entire profession. A hundred percent.
So, Mike, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit the chat real quick. So, an old colleague of yours says hello. Uh, says, Mike, I have fond memories of working many firearm cases with you, my brother. All right. So that's from Mario. Love you. All right. My mother wants to wish you wants to welcome you back to the show. Sometimes I think she might like you more than me. Um, but that's something we can talk about at other times. Hi, <laughs> <My> mom. <laughs> she enjoys seeing you out there. All right. So we do have a question here. So what are some things that people can do to best prepare for an academy? What do you think, Mike? Man, e easy, uh, easiest way to put it. And, and I'm going to, I'm going to base this answer off of my own experience and what worked for me. Um, again, things have changed over time. I, you know, we, we haven't been to an academy in years, but I suspect that a lot of things stayed the same. So here's what I would tell folks that are looking to prepare for the academy. Disappear for six months. Uh, you know, the uh, set up study groups literally disappear for six months. And when I say disappear, I mean, stay away from the, 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 the bars, stay away from large gatherings where, you know, alcohol is going to be consumed or you're staying up late, uh, you know, late hours of the day. Just don't, stay away from that stuff. Uh, I, I literally for the most part, I disappeared for six months because I was so focused and, and, I, and I wanted to to make sure um, that uh, that I succeeded. And, and part of succeeding is, is pre preparation, preparation, preparation. So if you're sincere and you're serious about law enforcement, disappear for six months, uh, you know, and, and, and if, if you have real friends, they'll they'll um, they'll support and they'll respect that. Um, so that's the biggest thing that I can say in regards to preparing for the academy um, beforehand. All right, so I'm going to jump and I'm going to answer the question as well. So in my opinion, uh, some of the best things that you can do in order to prepare for the academy is do your research. Talk to people. Get with people that are going to give you the real. Like, it's great. Like, you know, like talking to, you know, like chiefs of police and people from agencies that their job is to try to staff the job. Like, yes, that is extremely beneficial. They're going to, they're going to tell you about the exact parameters of, of their job. But talk to people that have no skin in the game. Talk to people that, you know, talk to somebody from a different agency. Or if you can't link up with somebody, reach out to Supply the Y if you're in the Massachusetts area, New England area, and maybe I can connect you with somebody um, that's from your area that'll talk to you and tell you what it's like, for example. So I'm going to talk to some of, my, um, some of my minority viewers out there. It is a fact that sometimes the job, some of the rigors of the job are different for um, I'll say black men than they might be for some of our, our white counterparts in that, for example, I, um, you know, one of the most regretful things of my adult life is a few years back when, um, you know, right around when Ferguson happened, I want to say it was maybe Thanksgiving of 2014. Um, you know, I, I got no, I got no an argument at Thanksgiving with my dad be over, over what happened in Ferguson. And, it was regretful. It got, it got, it got a little out of hand and it was, it was embarrassing. But my father, it wasn't even that we were talking about what happened in Ferguson. He flashed back to something that had happened to him when he was a young adult and he, and, and it turned into an emotional situation. And sometimes, especially with today, let's face it, like the, like the, the race issues are growing and they're not getting it. They're not really getting better. So how are you going to handle it? when somebody from your race thinks that you are a sellout because you are in law enforcement, how are you going to handle it when you have to arrest somebody that looks like you and they're expecting you to cut them a break simply because you have the same skin pigment? You know, those are things that not everybody has to worry about. And those are things that you need to know are definitely going to happen to you when you come on this job or how can you, or how do you handle it when you go to take a report from somebody who doesn't look like you and they don't want you they want somebody who looks like them to take the report. Or when you show up and you're the supervisor and they ask to speak to a supervisor and you tell them that you're the supervisor, but they don't want to, they, they're not hearing it because you don't look like what they think a supervisor should look like. So there's all these different factors that um, you need to know about before you get in this line of work. Mike, do you, uh, you want to jump in on that at all? No, I, I think you, you make some very important points and, and it's definitely something that folks should think about um, and even and again I think it's important to even if you disagree with what Dean just said it's real 
Um, whether whether you know whether it's 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 based on uh, generational fears, um, but it's real in a lot of these households in regards to what they think we do, who we are, uh, what we stand for, what some folks, how some folks feel about us. It, it's real, so I think you you can't discount that. You have to think about that, um, um, and that that doesn't necessarily ref reflect who you are because you know who you are, and and, and a lot of you, the folks that work with you know who you are. Um, so I, I would stay true to who you are if, if if your heart's in the right place. But just understand that when folks, when you do get exposed to that uh, type of thinking, um, it's it's important to stay professional. It's important to not take it personal, um, and it's it's. You know, and again, sometimes it's just simply about understanding. Um, and sometimes when folks are going through a crisis, right, the wheels, have, a lot of times in those situations, the wheels have fallen off and you're you're literally being put into a situation when the wheels have fallen off. So we're being put into the, to, to some very difficult uh, um, uh, situations because, again, it's it's the incident has has hit the wall. And um, and they're looking for a, they're looking for a way out. And if and if somebody makes a request that maybe they don't want to deal with you, it, it's as easy as is reaching out to somebody else and, and, and let them mitigate that situation as opposed to uh, uh, escalating the situation because you you don't you don't agree with how they think or what they say. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely you know, it's 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 not always cut and dry. Like in a situation, like for example, as you climb the the, the runs of the ladder, um, if somebody wants to speak to a supervisor, for example, and I'm the only supervisor working, I am not going to call somebody at home to come in and say, "Hey, listen, right. this guy doesn't want to talk to me because right. I'm too dark skinned. He wants right. somebody lighter to talk to." I'm not going to do that. <laughs> you are you're gonna you're gonna have to deal with me, or you're gonna have to just internalize whatever it is you want to complain yeah. about. That's just the way it is. I'm not going to yeah. let you dictate. Uh, the flow of the conversation, um, but but you know these are things that you need that you need to know about. So we do have another good question. That was a great question, Heidi. So another question is, Mike, do you think that policing is harder because the respect and honor has decreased? Um, yes, yes, it, it definitely makes the job harder when it um, when levels of of respect for law enforcement have decreased. It hundred percent. I mean that that's that's a factor that you have to consider. Um, so, but, but it's also gotten harder, I think, because I, I think, I think a lot of cities and towns and police departments, they want to do more with less. Um, so, and it makes it hard for, for law enforcement because we're, we already have a tremendous uh, amount of responsibility when it comes to, to policing the community. So when you continue to add on and add on and add on other responsibilities and requirements, right? Because we, we we are literally, uh, you know, like law enforcement has, has gotten to a point where uh, it, we're, we're like the scapegoats for failed public policy, um, if I'm being honest. We oh, are the, preach it, Mike. Keep going. Law, law enforcement has become, uh, and, and it's always been a little bit of that, but it's more and more law enforcement, unfortunately, has become the dumping ground for failed policy. So we, we, we're, we're tasked with trying to fix everything, whether it's mental health, uh, uh, education in the school systems, uh, you name it. Law enforcement has kind of been uh, tasked with, with trying to fix everything. Tag, you're it. Uh, we, 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 uh, you know, failed public policy, law enforcement, tag you're it. That's, that's kind of where it's at. And that's why a lot of the job has become more and more difficult for, for the men and women, because we're, we're tasked with trying to cities and towns and, and police departments, they, they're trying to do more with less and it's creating stress, added stress on police officers. Um, uh, you know, and with, with that comes, you know, comes, comes mental health and, and physical ailments, uh, with the job. So that's, that's, part of why it has become uh, more difficult. So I want to jump in on that as well. Um, so the respect has definitely, I, I think is overall has decreased. I don't think it's decreased um, at, 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 at a huge numbers. It's not, it's not a matter of the numbers of people for which it's decreased. It's who it's decreased for. So for example, the media has an unbelievable influence over the American population. 
So what has happened is they sell shock and awe. They're in the shock and awe business. And shock and awe, it gets ratings, it gets people to turn in, and it gets clicks. So now they promote all these stories that cause all these shock and awe, and they do it to the point where people have thought, you know, like, for example, like if there is a police brutality case, they pump it out of the media so much and so often that people think that that's the reality that's happened everywhere. So that is 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 a huge problem there, and that's that's a reason that's a major reason why respect has decreased. I would say that honor has increased actually because the amount of people that choose to stay in this line of work are honorable, and we're doing it for the honorable reasons because we know if we leave this line of work, there is nobody else coming to help. There's two populations of people that know that if policing decreases and goes away, that things are going to go to hell and they're going to go to hell quick. Police officers know that, and criminals know that. So I would say that honor has increased, anybody who decides to stay in this line of work. So, But that was a fantastic Clarence, uh, uh, question, Clarence, and I hope we, uh, we answered that. Uh, Mike, let's keep it rolling with the questions. So the next one is, as men of color and police officers, how do you deal with all the injustices? It must be really hard. What say you, Mike? Yeah, so you know, and this and this this is why it's called difficult conversations. <laughs> is you know, and and I think we have to be clear uh, when you say injustices. Um, are we speaking about George Floyd? I think we can all all agree, law enforcement community, the citizen citizenry, uh, we all agree. Horrible, 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 tragic. Um, should have should not have happened. Um, and that and and that that does bother me, and I'm sure that bothered Dean, and that bothered everybody else that saw that. Hundred um, uh, percent. So you know, and the, the difficult thing about law enforcement, uh, you know, and, and Dean, I don't know if you'll you'll agree with me or not, but the difficult thing about law enforcement is 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 a lot of times we're not catching things until something bad happens because we, you know, when when somebody new comes into the profession, we can't interview your heart. Right. We, we can't interview your heart. We, we, we simply can judge you based upon your past record, your uh, how you present yourself when you come on board. But we cannot interview your heart. I wish I could. I wish I could. You know, there was some way, some technology and maybe there will be in the future. But right now we can't interview your heart. So we're, we're catching a lot of things uh, when 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 the bad thing happens. And that's unfortunate. Um, and sometimes it, it leads to tra tragedy uh, because we can uh, what we do every day is we we help people day in and day out every single day. We have millions, you know, millions and millions of interactions on a daily basis, uh, the law enforcement community. But all it takes is for one incident, one incident, and it erases everything that we've done. Um, and that's tough. Um, so. So again, when you start, when you talk about injustices, you you have to be more specific, um, you know. And I could, you know, we I can talk in in more specific details about particular matters, but I think you have to be more specific when you say injustices because if it's truly injustice, it bothers Dean and I just just the same as it bothers everybody else in the in the community. So I I want that to be clear, and I I want folks to understand that that everyone in the law enforcement community. Uh, when we see injustice, we're with you. Uh, you know, again, and I'll stand arm in arm, shoulder to shoulder, with anybody in the community when when there is truly uh, a situation where where, um, where where we see injustice. No doubt about it. All right, so I'm going to jump in on that as well. So um, Beth did clarify. She said yes when you mentioned the uh, the Chauvin case, Mike. So if we're talking in in terms of the Chauvin case, I'm going to say. Uh, I'm going to echo what Mike said. So in the defensive tactics community, I'm a defensive tactics instructor. In, in the community, we have a saying, and it's probably permeated all throughout police work, whereas nobody hates a bad cop more than good cops. We say that probably 100 times when, when, we're, when we're talking to our uh, recruits or when we're doing in-service uh, training, which is our annual training for police officers, and we're talking about uh, having proper tactics and having sound tactics. Now, that being said, to Mike's point, when we talk, when you say all the injustices, that happens a lot. And I think, um, Beth, the, the way you phrase that is a perfect example of what I was talking about earlier, where the media 
plays an event over so many times where people think that that's happening all over the place. So I would say when it comes to all the injustices, there aren't, there really aren't all the injustices. Yes, there are injustices that happen here and there. I mean, it's, it's a human-based business. Anytime you have a human component in any business, there are going to be mistakes made. There's going to be uh, evil that's going to slip through and go undetected. Like Mike said, you can't interview someone's heart. So when that happens and someone just goes way over the top, like in the Chauvin case, like Mike said, we're standing shoulder to shoulder with you. Nobody was more upset about what happened there than, than good police officers. Nobody. And you can go back and it's uh, and check out some of our past content, and we've said it a bunch on all of our past content. But that being said, uh, I don't like injustices on either side of the scale either, because it's also an injustice when a police officer does their job and is forced to use some sort of force. And then now, because it doesn't look good or because the result isn't, isn't an optimal result, now people want to go back and they want to look at it at a, at a at a situation with what we call 2020 hindsight. And 2020 hindsight it would be the equivalent to you're watching a football game and there's a call that happens and someone challenges a call. So what do they do? They go to the replay booth. They rewind it. They talk about it. They go back. They rewind it again and they talk about it. They put it in slow motion and talk about it. Well, you can't look at any police-involved situation that way because we don't have the benefit of 2020 hindsight. We got to make split-second decisions, and then we got to hope that that whatever we did was the right decision. So you have to put yourself in that 2020 hindsight uh, mindset, uh, and as far as as eliminating that when you look at a situation, you got to look at it one time, see it for what it is, make a decision, and stick with it. And that's what that's the. Uh, that's the, the the paradox of being of being a police officer in today's world. So uh, I hope we answered your question, Beth. If we didn't, please follow up in the chat. So we have a couple more questions coming up. So as men of color and police officers, how difficult is it when there is perceived injustice by the community, but from a law enforcement standpoint, it is a lawful outcome? Ah, okay. So that's basically what I was just talking about. So Mike, anything to add on what I was just saying about how sometimes it's difficult because, again, use of force, force is ugly by nature, and it is not designed to be pretty unless you're watching like a Steven Seagal movie or something like that. You know, if it's a movie, then, yeah, it's, it's going to be poetic and then it's going to be lawn sweeping blows and look great. But in real work, it's in real world, it's not that way. Yeah. And, and it's and it's it's tough and it's it's difficult to tell the community when, you know, when it when is a tragic incident that takes place. It's, it's, it's difficult to tell the community to just, just hold on. Let us, let us, let us figure out what, what happened. Let us get it right. And that's part of due process, right? That's part of that procedural justice and uh, let us get it right. So it's difficult to tell, tell a community that particularly uh, victims um, on both sides that, that have been, um, have, have been affected by the incident. It's, it's tough. Emotions are high. So it's very difficult to tell a community to hold on. Let us get the facts right. Um, and, and it sounds like we're being insensitive, but sometimes we, you know, there's a reason why we do do things. And sometimes there's a reason why we're not more transparent with things because it hurts the process overall when it comes to uh, uh, um, uh, the court systems uh, that's why sometimes we're not as, as quick to be transparent about certain things because we have to get things right. And it takes time to review things. It, it takes time to, to review, uh, uh, um, you know, all the video that comes in, all the witnessed uh, um, accounts. So I, what I would say to, to that is, is trust the system. And, I, and again, I know that that trust and legit, legitimacy with police departments is, uh, is, is hurting right now. But you know, all all that we ask is that you you uh, give us a chance. Let let us let us get it right. Um, and and it, uh, at the end of the day, if you do, you're patient with us, um, and we will keep folks as transparent. We will try to be as transparent as we can, um, but bear with us. Uh, I know it's tough. I wish I had a, a better answer, but um, that's why these are difficult conversations. A hundred percent, Mike, and you you answered that beautifully. Um, and again, the society we live in is part, is part of the issue in that we live in the age of instant gratification. All right. If we want information, what do we all have? We all have these. 
We all got our smartphones. We all got our phones where we can have instant access to information and instant access to answers to questions. Well, people expect policing to do that. And again, if we're talking about media and we're talking about TV and entertainment, like that that clip I showed earlier, it kind of sets up an unrealistic expectation of the capabilities of a police department. People expect you, uh, give me one second, Mike, I'll yep. go right back. People expect you to be able to solve crimes in 60 minutes or less, including commercial breaks, because they did it on CSI. So, but that's not, and I've had people mention things like that too. I'm not just being fresh, everybody. Like I've had people mention TV shows, fictional TV shows, uh, as part of their expectations as to what we can do as police, the uh, police officers. So go ahead, Mike, what are you going to say? And and so Dean, if I could just touch upon some of the, some of what you, you've said, uh, I want, I encourage folks to be cautious uh, and be very, very careful when, you know, you're listening to uh, quote unquote Facebook attorneys, because a lot of times what's happening is they're putting out misinformation and disinformation. So you, you have to be very, very, very careful about uh, the, the source of your information uh, and, and where you're getting it from, because folks are intentionally putting out false information and it, and it, and it really is hurting uh, the overall process. It really is on both sides. It's hurting the process. And and that's what I, I hope folks uh, can understand and um, and take away from, from what I've said. Be, be very, very cautious about where, where and how you're getting in your information. Because uh, like I said, there's misinformation and there's disinformation. All right. So let's switch gears real quick. We have a different kind of a question. This is one of my favorite questions because this is something that I really enjoy doing. Uh, is the interview process. So do you have any tips or advice for an interview at a department? So Mike, I'll go first on this if you don't mind. So um, so Joseph, one of the tips I have for interviewing is be genuine. Don't sit there and try to think about, well, what is the person that I'm talking to? What do they want to hear? All right. Because believe it or not, a lot of people that conduct these interviews, they've heard it all before. Like, I, you know, like, you know, all the cookie cutter answers, I just want to go out and, and, and make a difference in the community. We know all that. A lot of times they want to know why are you right for this, uh, this profession? What makes you a good fit? What do you bring to the table? Like those are the things that they want to hear about as far as why you're a good fit for their department. Sometimes they even want to hear about your vulnerabilities. All right. So I've had people ask, like, what, what is your greatest strength? And I've also had them ask, what is your greatest weakness? Be honest. Don't be the don't be the guy or gal that says I don't have any weaknesses. Don't do that. Don't do that. So be genuine in your interviews, um, and 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 really just let your passion for for what you want to do come out. Mike, you have anything you want to add? Uh, if I could keep it as as simple as possible, preparation and presentation. Preparation and presentation. Um, and again, uh, to touch upon what Dean said, be genuine. We, 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 you know, we, we've, we've talked to enough folks, a lot of the, a lot of the people that are conducting that interview on that panel, we've talked to many, 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 many people. We've interviewed many, many, many people. So when, when you're not being genuine and honest, we, we, we could kind of, we could kind of read through the lines. So be yourself in all, in all honesty, be yourself. Uh, we're not, we're not, we don't want to hire robots. Um, and we understand folks aren't perfect. Um, but you need to be honest with yourself. And, and part, of, part of being prepared for, for an interview is go online and do research. Uh, uh, you know, have somebody test you on questions. Um, and, and I'm not saying, you know, you have to prepare this, this, this dissertation in your, in your mind. But what I'm saying is be prepared. And, and part of being ready for an interview is, is putting your best foot forward. Um, and it shows when you come in and you, you look, you look, you look like you want the job. You, you know, you, you didn't come in the office and, and, and look like you just put on a suit from uh, from the laundry basket. Uh, that that matters. You know, that does matter. Uh, so I think preparation and presentation is 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 huge. And just be genuine. Be yourself. And like I said, you can go online and, and read and how do you, how how you know some of the questions that you may get. Um, um, but preparation and presentation huge. Hundred percent. You never get a second chance to make a first impression, folks. All right. So we hope, uh, Joseph. We hope we answered your question there. So the next question is: 
respectfully, we do a lot. We do a lot of good in our profession. There's issues with policing far beyond George Floyd, though. How do we balance honestly acknowledging the persistent issues in the profession, work to make those issues better while still serving with pride? All right. So Kaisha did, uh, she went old school on us. She did multiple choice and she did a question with parts A through J. So let's start taking little bites out of this question. All right. So, all right. So let's start with the, you know, balancing, honestly, acknowledging the persistent issues in the profession. So what are some of the things we can do, Mike, to, to kind of bring light to what of what some of Kaisha's talking about, like as far as persistent issues? Um, I'm not 100% on what she means by persistent issues. I think we can definitely work on some things in law enforcement um, because, you know, as you know, Dean, as, as much as, as we have a, a, an external stressful environment, we also have an internal stressful environment. So I, I think that I think it all starts with leadership. Um, and, um, and I think what we see a lot in law enforcement not a lot, but what we do see and what we could get better at is toxic leadership. So I think that uh, I think that we could do a better job. Uh, the uh, police administrators can do a better job with 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 trying to figure out how you remove toxic leaderships, um, whether that means uh, giving them difficult, uh, not difficult, but different tasks um, that uh, where, where they're not um, interacting or, or have a huge um, influence over, over folks. Um, so toxic leadership to me is, is big. Um, uh, we could definitely do better there and, and we can, we can definitely do better with accountability, uh, on all levels. Accountability is, is huge. And, and I think community transparency, I, I think we're, we're getting better at it in law enforcement, but that's another area we could do better at. All right. So I'm going to agree with you on that, uh, transparency. Um, I think that we are, as a whole, law enforcement, they're trying transparency, but we're doing it in a defensive posture. So just by, but if you're always taking a defensive posture and you're always reacting to people requesting things, and you're always reacting to, um, to outrage. It looks as if you have something to hide. It looks like you are always, you know, like you always, like you're always trying to cover something up. Uh, so I think it's to the point now where in law enforcement as a, as a whole, and again, this is just my opinion. This is not necessarily the opinion of, 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 of the department that I work for or anything like that. But I think we have to start being proactive and releasing certain information. For example, if there is body cam footage and it is clear that something took place in the body cam footage, I think we have to explore maybe releasing that a little earlier. Now, the downside of that is you can lose cases because of that. And it can cost you the long run. But if that's what it's going to take in order to uh, earn legitimacy, trust and legitimacy from our communities, you know, that's something that, that maybe we need to think about. And secondly, in my opinion, if body camera footage is in, everything that's on that footage should be in. It shouldn't be, well, like, well, you know, we only want to see the officers. I don't want you to show me because, you know, I was drunk and I was in my underwear. Well, you know what? Too bad, so sad. If I was lawfully present, where I was filming, then everything needs to be in. Like you can't, you know, you can't, it's not an all you can eat buffet line where you can just walk down the line and take the pots that you like best and leave everything else out. It should be all or nothing. So um, I think that that would help with trust and legitimacy. And it would also sh give everybody the full picture of, of what we're seeing out there. So um, Kaisha, I hope that answers uh, part of your question. And as far as serving with pride, well, that's just a mindset. You know, if you're proud of how you go out there and you know that you're going out there and you're doing the same thing and, and you're doing the right things and you're going doing right by people, even when that means you got to hold people accountable, even when it means you got to verbally, you got to verbally give it to people sometimes. Like, I don't ever go home and I'm ashamed of doing that. A quick story is when people try to weaponize the police against certain members of the community. So they call the police just to get the police to... um apply pressure to somebody. For example, like, you know, I got called for a, a kid that was breaking into a car in the middle of the day on one of the busiest streets of town. So, you know, we go over there. It didn't sound right from the beginning. So we go over there and, uh, and you know, and the, and the kid fit in the description. It was a young black kid and he had a real nice car 
And I see him with a backpack on, but I see him in the back seat of the car, kind of casually pulling something out of the car. So right then and there, I'm like, there's something, this kid's not breaking into the car. There's nothing on the car. There's no Primox, there's no broken glass. You know what it was? It was this kid's car and he was going to get a haircut. But this person drove by and saw a young black kid with a beautiful car and called the police on him. So I got on the air and I said, hey, Control, do you have the callback number for this person? And, and luckily they did. I said, have them meet me at XYZ location. I'm not going to tell you where. So this person met me at this location. The guy who was with me says, I got to see this. I know what's about to happen. So he comes with me. We meet this this uh, caller. And I asked this caller what they were thinking. And she actually says to me, she says, that car was way too nice for a kid like that to be driving. Chuchri said that to me. So it turns out that I knew this person's father. This person, this kid, this kid's father makes a great living and could afford a car like that. Not that anybody should have to explain why they drive a car. So I, I as nice as I could, firmly explained that to her. And then I went on to say that what she did was wrong. And that in this town, well, where I work, like that is not how things are done. We don't treat people that way. And that was the conversation we had. So that's another way you can serve with with pride too, Kaisha. You can hold people accountable for when they call the police with bad intentions and they're doing it to weaponize us against other people. There's nothing wrong. You can be you got to be professional when you do it, but there's nothing wrong with doing that either. Mike, um, I know it's a little long-winded, Mike, but do you have anything to add to that? No, I, I I've I've dealt with uh, a handful of situations like that, and and you know to make a long story short. It's, it's all about education, Dean. And, and sometimes when you point out certain things to folks, they have an, oh, ha, uh, an aha moment. Um, and I think that's, it, that's important to do if they're, you know, uh, again, if you feel like somebody's biases, uh, implicit bias has seeped into um, uh, them uh, contacting the police, uh, if you're professional about it, you, you can you can address that, and and sometimes uh, you know, and again, I, I'm I'm a firm believer in, in educating folks on on um, on matters. So that that's that's something that uh, we should be doing more of, and we we can do better um, at that. All right, so Mike, we're we're almost down the wire here. I think we have time for one more question before we get to our potting shots. So um, Pat says it seems to feel that the media pushes more to the general community that is in current in this current phase of the events that Ellie are out to beat you up or shoot you. What would you suggest we do on a daily basis to help alleviate this concept? I'll go first. So what I would recommend, Pat, is education. And what Mike said earlier about getting out and talking to people. So one of the things that I firmly believe, and I believe in a concept that, that, um, that we have here at Supply the Y called a relational credit score. A relational credit score is when you build that foundation of trust before a bad incident happens. And then when something bad happens, because let's face it, I mean, bad things happen in every community. You can withdraw from that account you've built up with those people of trust. So if you have a foundation of trust before something bad happens, you can always go back and say, hey, listen, it's me here. It's Dean. You know, just I'm the same guy that was here at your bake sale. I'm the same guy that was that we, you know, that we that comes by without an incident happening. And we talk about life and we talk about sports or whatever. I'm that same guy. And I need you to remember that when you are making a decision or when you have a visceral reaction to something that's happened. I need you to access that, that trust that we built before this happened. But when you try it the other way, which way too many leaders do was they, you know, too, a bad thing happens. And then they want to go out and say to the community, well, well, just trust me. Well, how can I trust you? I don't know you. You were never, you never came around before any of this happened. So there's no, there's no foundation of trust. So, that's that's what I would um I'd recommend that 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 we do first, and then it is easier to have these conversations with people, Pat, if we have that trust up front. Mike, uh, anything to add on that? Man, it, it's always frustrating talking about the media, um, and and it because because it feels like we we can't we can't do much about it. Um, 
so and I think it's important to understand that that we're operating in a, in a political and media arena. Um, and we have to be able to to figure out how we how we bob and weave around that. And and I think I think it's you know uh, it's about having uh, moral political courage. Uh, and and you know and some some of the the politicians in in the communities and and on a national level they they need to do a better job with um, controlling the narrative and and letting folks uh, know the entire story as opposed to just quick snapshots because uh, unfortunately I think and this is my opinion I th I think that intellectual intellectually we have gotten lazy as far as people all we want to do is read the the uh, the the title and we don't want to read the article we don't want to get into the article um you know folks have gotten lazy and they're like oh the title uh you know a black male shot by police that's all they see that's all they read and they they take that and they run with it when if you if you you know if you dig a little deeper into the weeds uh because the, the sometimes the media is cute like that they uh, again we're operating in a, in a media and political arena and you have to you have to be able to to, to dig through those weeds and, and look past just the title of something and and read a little deeper um and so that's all i'll say about that i i agree with you for uh, i agree with you 100 mike i mean i think the term is clickbait if you're looking at something online they just want you just looking for you to click on it and just so that you know somehow they count those clicks and that's how they know that you've gotten you've you've gotten into, into their article and that's how their ratings go up or what have you and um and mike's 100 right you can't fall for the clickbait you have to look into the meat and potatoes of an incident. And a second thing you need to do is you need to also understand that police incidents, just like any other incident in life, it's like a snowflake. No two are alike. Every incident has some unique set of circumstances that make it different from the other. So you can't just lump every incident involving a, a demographic, a gender, or even, or even a type of crime into the same category. You have to look and you have to look at the elements. You got to look at what took place. And like Mike said, you can't you, you can't be lazy with it. You got to really seek to understand and really look deep into these incidents to uh, make sure that you have all the puzzle pieces before you uh, try to put a picture together. So, Mike, a couple last comments here. We are down to it. Diane says so much implicit bias. I get to a call and I'm like, why am I here again? All right. And then finally, she says, Amen, Mike, just the headlines shaking my head. So, Mike, we got about two and a half minutes left. I want to thank you so much for this conversation. This is a uh it's it's a little bit more difficult than some of the other things that we've talked about because this is um there's no clear path to talk about this. This is driven a lot by questions and it's driven a lot by just our genuine desire to get people the right information before they get into this line of work, or if you are new in this line of work, to get you the right information so we can put you on the ch on the path to success. So one thing that I am going to throw out there, if, if there's people that can't see this the first time through and you have questions that we didn't cover today, what I am willing to do, and if any other law enforcement professionals out there would like to be part of this, is if I, if I get enough interest, I will do a private Zoom so it's not open to the public where I can answer questions maybe a little more in depth than I can in this format for people that really want to talk more about what it's like to be in law enforcement. Um, I will throw that out there to you. Just send just send a message to operations at supplythewhy.com. Again, that's operations at supplythewhy.com and just reference this episode and uh, and we'll make that happen. All I need from you, I need you to like this episode and I'd like you to and I need you to share it and then we'll go from there. Mike Anything, um, anything you wanted you want to add on on the way out the door here? No, you you know I, I think I'll just leave leave you with a couple uh, the audience with a couple things. First of all, I want to say uh, happy Flag Day. All right, that's the first thing, and the and the second thing that I'll say in regards to uh, this um, discussion today is not only I just want to leave folks with this, particularly if you're in law enforcement or you plan on going in law enforcement, not only do you have to stay physically fit, but you also, and this is very important. I want you to listen to this and take these words, um, seriously, check up from the neck up. Okay. Pay attention to your mental health, whether you're on the job or you plan on, uh, uh, uh going into law enforcement, check up from the neck up. 
pay attention to your mental health because it's important. Stay safe. Mike, I appreciate you, brother. Thank you again for a wonderful conversation. Folks, if you know anybody who's thinking about getting into law enforcement, if they're new to law enforcement, if you are the leader of, of an agency and you want a, a fresh take on how to recruit new, new officers, this is the episode for you. So again, please like it, please share it. And then as always, keep coming back for great episodes and great content. Go ahead, Mike. Uh, Dean, I just, I do, I saw something in the, in the uh, chat and I want to say uh, happy birthday to the U.S. Army, all the veterans, uh, happy birthday. All right. There you have it, folks. That's going to do it for us tonight. Again, this has been another episode of Difficult Conversations by Supply the Why. We appreciate you and tune in next week for another great episode. Good night, everybody. Good night.